Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Who wants to help me preach today? You want to help me? Okay, there's two ways you can do it. The first way is you give me some loud amens. You're like, oh, smoking hot, Carter. Like, that's good stuff. Bring me the beef. You can say stuff like that. Um, Or if that is just, I know that there's some people that is just so far from who you are spiritually that you have a hard time doing that. So let me give you a different one, okay? You can, instead of say anything out loud, just say a prayer. Every time you would say amen, say a little prayer and say, Holy Spirit, bring the fire. Holy Spirit, bring the fire. Because we want the fire of the Holy Spirit. We don't just want some dude talking. We want the fire of the Holy Spirit. And if you want really double points, do both. Say amen, and Holy Spirit, bring the fire. We can do all of it. So we're starting a brand new series today, and I want you to imagine something for me. In in Hebrews 11, there's this thing called the Hall of Faith, okay? And there's all these heroes of the faith down through the generations of the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews is telling everybody, hey, look to these guys, men and women who in their generation, they believed God ferociously, and they saw God do wonderful things. And it's a picture, and, and Two of the people in that Hall of Faith are Abraham and Sarah, and we're going to talk about them today. But let me change the image, the Bible motif for a minute, because in another place, Paul says, every one of us needs to run the race that is set before us. He even says, I beat my body so that after having preached to others, I don't disqualify myself. The Christian life is pictured as this great race that we're all in together. You're in a race right now. Did you know that? Why don't you picture for me, okay, so we're, gonna, we're going to a little like imagination time, okay, so put on your imagination caps, and what I want you to imagine is imagine you're in kind of like a dream, and there's this great big racetrack, but it's not like a NASCAR racetrack, it's like a running track, like maybe you had at your high school or your college, and you are on the track, and if you're married, your spouse is with you, and you look out into the stands, and you can see so many people, myriads of people. And they're dressed in different ways from different places and different times even. And you realize this is the heavenly witnesses that are surrounding you. And then you look around the track and there's others on the track who are also running their race. And you're running your race. And as you and your spouse are running your race, this older couple starts to approach you. They speed up a little bit. doesn't seem like it's very hard for them. And you, just somehow you know... This is Abraham and Sarah. And they're smiling, and they kind of lean in like they're going to say something. And the man, kind of with a twinkle in his eye, he says, you don't need a perfect record. And then she pipes in right away, and she says, just keep helping each other up. You don't need a perfect record. Just keep helping one another up. We're going to go into the Marriage by the Book series, and this is, we're, we're going to be on this track for the next four weeks, okay? And you're going to meet different Bible couples, and they're going to mentor us a little bit. They're going to tell us how we should view marriage and how we should view life. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged because if you're not married, there's still good meat in here for you. So don't you worry about it. Holy, Holy Spirit knows you're single, and he knows how to dish it out. He knows what to do. But the Bible is full of these examples for us, whether it's a marriage, whether it is mistakes, whether it is something super heroic that somebody did. 
But Paul wants us to know in the book of Romans, he says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Who needs some hope today? Well, it's going to be through pushing through, but also the encouragement of the scriptures and the models from the past. So here's my challenge to you is, I really believe you can grow, but I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, God, what are you putting your finger on? How do you want me to grow in this season? Now, I personally relate a lot to Abraham. I think my wife and I relate a lot to Abraham and Sarah, not in every way, but in some ways. And maybe you're going to find different ones that you relate to in different ways as we go through this series. But for me, Abraham and Sarah, like right when you meet them, boom, they're on a mission already. They're called by God and they're supposed to go do something. And I felt like my wife and I, very young, like boom, we already felt like a call from God. We were supposed to go plant a church. Like we knew what we were supposed to do. But like Abraham and Sarah, are you talking, Sarah? You better shut up. Um, Sorry, that's my computer. Like Abraham and Sarah, (laughs) I'm talking to a human. That's a droid. Um, Who's he telling to shut up? She just randomly says stuff to me now. Guys, I don't know what is going on, but this, this robot chick is just talking to me sometimes. I'm like, what? Anywho, Abraham and Sarah, what are we even talking about? Abraham and Sarah, right? They made some mistakes too. Like they didn't do everything right. That's some of the power of looking at biblical characters is scriptures just present them how they were, not necessarily as we might imagine them. But we all need this kind of encouragement from Abraham and Sarah because if you're married, it don't matter how much you're in love. It don't matter how long you've been together. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to get some things wrong. You're going to radically and sometimes stupidly disobey God or your spouses or both at the same time. And you're going to need some encouragement to keep going. You're going to need some, even though everything seems like it got messed up, there's still hope. Because You don't need a perfect record. Just keep helping each other up. That's the wisdom of Abraham and Sarah. So let's take some advice from this old couple. This old couple is going to give us some advice, and they're going to use Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Now, they didn't write this, but they lived it. So let's pay attention. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall... One will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold, I can't say that right, threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, this isn't specifically about marriage, but it is about companionship. It's about the wisdom of, I need a people to do life. Whether that's married or not, I need folks to do life with me because I'll make fewer mistakes. There's just traps, there's hardships that aren't quite the same if you have people around to watch your back and to step in for you. So let's listen to these old, this old couple's advice. Number one, strong marriages are in union with God. Strong marriages are in union with God. Check it out, verse 12, it said, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. God is that center cord that the two who are married are wrapped around. And baby, that is powerful stuff. Abraham and Sarah teach us that the true strength comes from making the glory of God the mission of life. So let me ask married couples, 
When was the last time you reviewed the glory of God being the vision statement for your marriage? How's that going? Are you united in this idea that whatever else we do, whatever plans we had, the purpose of God for us is to be united to him, not even just one another, but united to him to glorify his name. This is what Abraham and Sarah had right from the beginning. Check it out, Genesis 1-2. Now the Lord said to Abram, now it's gonna go back and forth between Abram and Abraham and Sarai and Sarah, so if I get it wrong, just slow with me because it's still right. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's a bold step right there. Then verse 5, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brothers, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, that's where they were from, and these, these people are like their servants and the people that work for them, and we find out even later soldiers are there as well. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. This husband and wife team, a husband and wife team, somebody say team, team Team that decides we're going to live for the glory of God. I don't know if there's anything stronger on the face of this earth than those who have chosen to do that together. Because not only do you get um, what the strength of one is, but you get the strength of the other as well. And think about Abraham and Sarah. Now, they got a lot to do together, okay? First, they're going to live as foreigners for a long time now. They're being sent on this mission, and just to fill in some of the blanks, they're being sent to bring about this promised child. They're believing God. They're already kind of old, and they're believing God's going to bring a child through us anyway, and through him, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, and it's Isaac that they're talking about. But they leave, and they go, and they have all these people and all this responsibility. They not only have livestock, they have people that they're bringing with, and they're going to live nomadic. They're going to live in tents. They don't even really have a place to settle. And what would they tell us is the secret? The secret is being united in God. The secret is that God himself is giving us the ability to hold all this up. They're united around his purposes. They're united around his call. And they didn't get everything right, but they largely stayed on track. A couple that is really aiming at the glory of God. Now, you got to know this or this will trip you up, they're going to be asked to walk by faith, just like Abraham and Sarah were. That's how God works with people. God works by faith. That means he's going to ask couples, I'm going to ask you to do things that you don't totally know why you should obey yet. I'm going to sometimes ask you to go someplace or talk to somebody you don't totally know why you should or if you should or if you could or anything like that. It's a walk by faith. And this is why it's so dangerous. This is why Paul warns us, do not be yoked with an unbeliever. Not because Paul doesn't like unbelievers. He loves unbelievers. The reason Paul says, hey, you be careful, you young ones. When you're thinking about getting married, just check it out. Because God is going to call you to walk by faith. He's going to ask you to do some things. And if this other party doesn't want to go that way, that's going to be really hard for the rest of your life. It's going to be hard. So God says, the best thing you can do is make sure as you're evaluating candidates for your marriages, are they fiercely focused on the glory of God? And are you two ready to go after this together? Otherwise, it's just going to be a fight for so long. Now, Kenzie and I, we've been, honestly, we were counseling couples by the time we were married. But by 21, we were counseling couples, and we've been doing it ever since. And that doesn't mean we're brilliant. It just means we've seen a lot of stuff. And one of the, things, one of the saddest things that you can see is this girl that is filled with fire, and she's ready to go for God. And then some dude wanders up, and he don't care about God, dude. 
know what I'm saying? He just wants the girl. Hey, girls, guys want the girl. Like, that's what they're after. So he'll pretend to be interested in church for a little while, and it's possible that someday he might come to faith in Christ. But you know what I've seen more often than not? He doesn't come to faith in Christ. And this, there's something in her that wilts and crumbles because she just didn't wait. She was afraid no one else is going to come along. I'm like, baby. And, and God can still use it. Like, God, God, you can't outsmart God. God can always work a plan B, C, D, E, and F. Like, God can do anything, but it's hard to watch her heart wilt like that because she didn't remain focused on, no, I got to go out. I, I need a dude who I can go after the glory of God with. What that also means is, when was the last time you, if you're a married couple, maybe you're at the table, maybe you just turn the TV off, whatever it is, and you grab each other's hands, and you say, Jesus, we just want you to know that we're your couple. We're just yours. I know you know, but we're just telling you again. We want to live for the glory of God. I think you ought to do that every now and again. See, God, just to remind us and you, we are your couple. You can do whatever you want with us. We want to live for you. And if you have a spouse, hey, if you have a spouse that wants to seek after and serve God, you better, you better spring out of bed every day and be like, glory to God. You have one of the most awesome gifts on the face of this. You have someone that not only wants to seek God, they're going to do it with you. You ought to be praising God. Like they see all your stuff. They see all your sin. They still want to go with you. That is amazing. We ought to be praising God much more often that our, that our spouse didn't just like, oh, get sick of all our junk and move right along. So old couple's advice to win your marriage. First, strong marriages are in union with God. And number two, unified marriages have unusual power. They have unusual power. They have more power than they would on their own. Verse 9 said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. One, one uh, translation said, two can accomplish more than twice as much as one. We're more effective. We're more productive because you get to take advantage of one another's strength and spiritual gifts. And sometimes when you first start out, you don't really know what everybody's good at. As Kenzie and I first started, it took a few years to start to say, oh, you're really, God like anoints you to do that. I'm just going to let you do it because you're really good at it. But you know what's really tragic? There's all this power available. But so often we see spouses and they're, they're kind of competing with one another. And it's super weird and super dysfunctional, especially when it's about like Jesus. Like they're competing with one another spiritually. And I'm like, guys, what? Why are you trying to show him that you're so doggone more spiritual than he is? Why are you trying to prove? Why aren't you like getting over yourself and trying to serve them? That's where the power would be. It's really jacked up, and it robs the power that God wants us to have. And you know what else shuts down that power is a lack of honor and submission. Yeah, we're going to talk about that because it's in the Bible. Lack of honor and submission. Now, before we jump into that, a little asterisk. Sometimes people hear the word submission and they get freaked out. And I understand that because often they've heard the word submission divorced from the context of a marriage where both spouses are trying to wow each other and blow one another's minds. In that kind of, see, submission really is a biblical idea, but it belongs inside of a biblical marriage. One where the context is, hey, let's glorify God and serve one another. Like, that's where it belongs. Now, even so, God wants to always sharpen us, always remind us of this. So let's check this out in 1 Peter. This is Peter talking 
to ladies, and then he's going to talk to the men. And honestly, you'll, I think the men get it a little sterner, but um, let's just listen. Peter says, Do not let your adorn, adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Let's pause because I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. My dear sisters, there is this diversion. There is this decoy. There is this thing that is like popular right now. And it's essentially presenting, you're a really spiritual Christian woman if you can look really dolled up and famous on Instagram. Like if you can sell a book and you can go do this, that, and the other thing, and you just always look rock star and Christian leader girls do it, and they kind of reinforce it. Whether accidentally or not, they still contribute to it. And I, can I tell you, that stuff is garbage. That has nothing to do with how close you are to Jesus Christ. That has nothing to do with how he's renovating your heart. And often, it just gets you focused on the wrong thing. I don't know if you know this, sweet darling, but I just got to tell you, it don't matter what you do, the flower fades, honey. Okay. Like, like, it don't matter. Hey, um, gravity's going to take control after a while, all right? There's nothing you can do about it. How much better to focus on the inner woman of the heart that has a gentle and quiet spirit? And I'm not saying don't look good. Hey, darling, hey, look as good as you can. You know what I'm saying? Work what you got. But don't ever think that that makes something spiritual. That is such a demonic lie and sidetrack. Okay, and a soapbox. Let's keep going. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Just so you know, Kenzie has never called me Lord. I don't think ever. <laughs> um, not, but she treats me like a king. So I'd prefer that, even though I don't deserve it. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That sounds like a dreadful warning to me. Like the ladies, it's like, hey, we don't guard your heart. Watch out. I feel like the Lord's like, dude, you know what I'm saying? And, and this, we got to warn guys and ourselves from time to time. So gentlemen, just listen for a second, okay? I think this is the more ferocious warning. He's saying, you talk to her the wrong way, and you might as well forget me answering your prayers. Because that's my girl, God says. Hey, I got four girls, and if someone talks to them the wrong way, y'all pray for me that I don't go to jail that night. Okay? Because something's going to come out of me. And God is more self-controlled than me, but I don't think he likes it very much when, quote-unquote, husbands start talking to his daughters really harshly. And that doesn't excuse any of her behavior. I'm just saying, it, it's, it's the word of God. Let's just, let's just know. Repent for that thing quick so that um, your prayers can still be answered. But let's, talk, let's go back to the ladies for a second. Um, Sarah was, we know that she was led by the Spirit herself. We know that she leaned into Abraham, okay? So she wasn't a woman that like hid her opinion, okay? She gets actually into some trouble because of her decisions, uh, as we'll see in a minute. But so she, she was not afraid to say, hey, this is what I think, and this is what I, you know, I think we should do. But she was also, in addition to being led by God, she was led through God leading her husband. And the Bible takes time to point out that that's an important idea. Back in 1997, my wife, my girlfriend at that point, Kenzie and I, we were in the, in the turquoise Ford Taurus, you know, parked in the forest. And 
Um, we had recently just been going through some different issues of like, I feel like the Lord is really trying to get a hold of us as a couple and try to like take out some sin that we had been catering to. And I really felt like it was time to talk about submission. And I was not looking forward to it because my girlfriend, Kenzie, had spent a couple of years just in kind of like a hyper-feminist mode, okay? But I got this Beauty of Submission magazine from Joyce Meyer in the mail, which is awesome that she, 25 years ago, was still doing this stuff, but, um, or that she's still doing it now. And I'm like, okay, we got to talk about this. So, so we're sitting down in the car. I'm like, Kenzie, I didn't know what to say. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, magazine, you know, let's look at this. And it was really hard on her because she was hearing all kinds of messages of, see, Jesus loves you, but you don't have a voice. Jesus loves you, but he doesn't want you to participate or make a contribution here, which is all lies and not true. But even so, it's what the world had fed her for so long. But then she was like, well, it's Joyce Meyer. She's like a fierce chick. She's like a woman that seems to have an opinion about a lot of stuff, and, and yet she's writing about the beauty of submission within the context of a biblical marriage. Submission is beautiful from the wife and also from the husband. And in fact, a submissive heart and a submissive spirit is a mark that the Holy Spirit is taking us over, not just in marriage. There's a lot of places we're supposed to submit with a great attitude to our government authorities, to um, police officer type people, to, the, to your boss, to the person you work for, to your spiritual leaders, and to your spouse. So let me give you a a Bible definition of submission. Submission is a gentle deference that is based on respect for God, not necessarily the other person. It's a worshipful desire to prioritize helping others to get their win, no matter who it is. So I've, and I know this can be really hard. There's some enemies of submission, and some of them are understandably difficult. If you've ever had a really hard boss, that just like makes your flesh melt, or a really hard spiritual leader that just makes, uh, it's so hard to respond sweetly to this because of how they carry themselves or whatever. No question that is harder. It doesn't get us off the hook, but it is definitely harder. But let me tell you something else that makes it hard. Our own unsanctified pride and our own unsanctified self-centeredness and haughtiness and desire to puff ourselves up. That's in every human, and that is also fighting this dynamic. So here's how it often goes as we see it. Um, she'll want him to be more respectable. She's like, I'd respect him if he'd be more respectable. He'd just do things better. He'd get my respect. And he's like, if she would stop emasculating me, if she would stop overriding me and telling me what a failure I am, well, maybe I would act like she wants me to act. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. Can I just give you some suggestions that I believe are based on God's word. First, let's talk to the men. Men, if she can tell that you are working hard to seek Jesus and serve her, I'm just saying that's going to be a whole lot easier for her to have deference toward. It's going to be a whole lot easier. If you don't, so let's just say, if you're a jerk, yeah, she's still, she's still obligated by God to try to do that in the midst of having a jerk, just like Jesus had jerks in his life that he even honored. But your hands are still dirty because you're making this way harder on her than it has to be. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, let me give you some, some just encouragement, bros. You want to be so dope that it is a joy to submit to you. Somebody say hashtag so dope. You want to be so dope 
that it's a joy to submit to you. Now, ladies, he ain't going to be that by tonight. I'm just trying to warn you. He probably won't get there. But you could be praying for him about that. God, make him so dope. Instead of you resisting it, God, watch you. Can you just upgrade the dude too, though? Because I will. I'll obey. But can you just, can you honor this Jesus and make him so dope? Now, ladies, if you'll be so honorable and so honoring that he trembles to get this thing right. Because like, this is God's princess. I can tell just by looking at her, the way she carries herself, that she is so impacted by Jesus Christ. She's so much like him. I'm afraid to get this thing wrong. She's such a special, pretty little thing. But ladies, if you're always riding him and always telling him what he's doing wrong, I, I just gotta, let's, let's take issue with your strategy a little bit. You know what happens when you beat a dog. That dog gets angry. If you keep beating that dog, that dog's gonna get angry. Now, I wish I didn't have to say it, but men are a lot like dogs, okay? We really are. And what I mean by that is praise goes a whole lot further than beatings. Like if you just start praising this dude, you might find things go a little bit better and it's a little bit easier. Again, this is submission within the context of a marriage that people are trying to wow one another. But what happens instead? We see couples and, and mm, mm, here's what's really happening. They're holding on to their self-agenda. That's all it is. You're defending your, your you. And instead of laying that down and saying, um, yeah, the whole purpose of the cross is for me to die to me. If I lose my life, then I will find it. But if I try to keep my life, I'm going to end up losing it. And so she's demanding her way over here, and he's demanding his way over here. And like, well, this, this is the way we got to do money, or this is the way we got to do child rearing. And no one's open to be like, maybe, hey, maybe I'm just wrong. Like, maybe God just wants us to come together on this and I keep trying to hold this thing back. Let me give you a suggestion. How about husband and wife? Again, whether you get on your knees in the morning or you're lying in the bed at night and you hold hands and you say, Jesus, would you synchronize us? Would you make us who we're supposed to be and help us to do what we're supposed to do? Here's what I've found. If people would just start to pray themselves into agreement, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? We can't walk with God unless we be agreed with them. How are we going to walk with one another unless we all get in agreement with God and one another? Spouses, you can pray yourself into agreement, but don't think it's going to be five minutes. Well, we prayed one night, and I don't know why we're not in agreement yet. No. You pray for a month together every day. Say, Lord, bring us into agreement. We're, we're not unified, and God wants us to be. And you know what will happen? You're afraid what will happen is God will tell you to submit to your spouse. But what usually really happens if you really go after it in prayer like that, you want this and they want this and God starts to change both of your hearts until you're in agreement with him, both of you from different angles and now you're strong. Now you're a cord that is not easily broken because what's the benefit for you? The benefit for you, husbands, to submit in service to your wife Wives, to submit to your husband in gentleness and love and deference when it's time. Both of you trying to outserve one another. The benefit for you is even if they remain a miserable cuss, you changed into the person you were supposed to be anyway. You were already supposed to be gentle and nice and sweet and good like that. You're already supposed to be blowing their mind. So why don't you just cooperate with God and practice it? Then you still win. God's system. It's such a great and brilliant system. So ask the Lord to bring you into agreement. Well, should we just stop or keep going? 
Okay. Strong marriages are in union with God, and unified marriages have unusual power. Here's number three. Strong marriages don't get everything right. Strong marriages don't get everything right. If they fall, for if they fall, verse 10, if they fall, Abraham and Sarah went after God's vision, but they didn't always treat each other right on the way there. They didn't get everything right. You don't have to get everything right. Some of you might be up against a wall right now, and a lot has gone wrong. You've done some things that are like, wow, that's a ginormous regret. And the world will tell you, you can't even get past that, dude. Some Christians will even tell you, you can't even get past that. I really believe there was a couple incidents in the Abraham and Sarah home, in the tents over the years, that they probably whispered about when the kids all went to bed, when the servants all went to bed. It was probably first there was the Pharaoh incident. Okay, we're not going to take time to go to the text. But the Pharaoh incident was one day they were coming along and they had to go to Egypt because there was a famine. And Abraham gets scared, even though he has this promise that this, this child is going to come through them. He's scared. These people are going to kill me because my wife is hot. That's what he thought. And so he tells her, he like gets a, pulls her aside. I'll tell you what we'll do. Why don't you tell everybody that you're my sister and then they'll take you into the harem and make you essentially a sex slave but I'll be good. Can you see what's wrong here? He did not have her back. He's putting his own fears against her safety. He didn't trust that God would just keep them. Like if God called you out here, dude, God's gonna have to keep you alive, Abraham, obviously, if this thing's going to work. And so he embraces deception and he didn't have her back. And ultimately God made a way for them to get out of it, but it was still, man, this was a fail. He did not do everything right in this instance. Well, you know, Sarah gets her turn too. A little while later, she's just getting really weary of believing God for all this stuff. And she's like, um, I'll tell you what, I've got a human plan now. How many have had a human plan that was really dumb compared to God's plan? Yeah. So she's got a human plan now. And she's like, hey, um, my body doesn't seem to be working to pump out this kid. So let's just take my handmaiden. Why don't you sleep with her? And then she'll have a baby and that'll be the child of promise. Now, God didn't ask him to do that. That's a dumb thing to say to any man anyway. And what it ultimately did was produce a lot of tension between her and this girl, Hagar. She should have had Abram's back by just believing God would find another way. He should have had her back by saying no. And then even as the, both of the kids ended up growing and ha having tension with one another, because our stupidity and our sin in the flesh always causes suffering. And so this couple is marked by, they just didn't do everything right and have bold faith. They did some things wrong on the way to the promised land. And your dear spouse, even if they're, you're like, they're the one Carter was talking, they're wowing me every day. Even them, like you and me, they're sinners. And they're going to sin. There's no one in all the earth who always does what is right and never sins. And they're going to miss the mark. And they're going to make mistakes. And they're going to leave you with some unmet expectations over the decades that you really thought this thing was going to happen and it didn't happen. And we got to be Ready, because someday, and I'm not prophesying this over anybody, but they're going to come to you and say, um, I need to admit my porn habit or that I spent a couple kinds of money that I didn't tell you that I was going to spend or that I've been keeping this secret from you and it's really hard to keep it, so I'm just going to tell you now, even though I know it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks or maybe they're just going to be using their mouth. Maybe you get into some season, now they're speaking really condescending to you and hurting your feelings more and more and more. Now, you got to talk about those, and you got to demonstrate some forgiveness there. But it doesn't have to be over. 
It wasn't over for Abraham and Sarah. You can make some mistakes. What did they say? They said, you don't need a perfect record. Just keep helping each other up. And that's number four. Strong marriages help each other up. They help each other up. So 25 years about is going by. And Abraham, some of you might remember this story. It's Genesis 15. He's out there and he's looking at the stars and he's like, oh God, I'm really doubting right now because it's been all this time and you haven't brought this child of promise. And the Lord speaks to him that night and he says, you are going to have this child through Sarah, not some other gal. You're going to have it through Sarah. And what does Abraham do? He laughs. Sarah often gets all the like flack for laughing, but Abraham actually laughed first. He laughs out loud in unbelief. And then a little later, the Lord comes to Abram and Sarah in the, like, as three angels representing the Lord. And they say, hey, Abram, you're, within a year, Sarah's going to have this baby. And she's eavesdropping, and she laughs. They both laugh. They both doubt God. But something must have happened because the final verdict of Scripture over them, even though they doubted, was they must have started to trust again. Because Romans chapter 4 says, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, believing that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Abraham doubted for a minute. He was down, but he got back up. And Sarah doubted in her laughter. But listen to how Scripture records her record. Hebrews 11, 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. She did laugh, but she believed again. You know what I picture? I can't prove this from the text, but I believe there must have been some nights when they were out looking at the sky, feeling the cool breeze. And maybe Abram looked over to Sarah and said, I'm really doubting this thing now. Those guys appeared today and they told us about this and I just don't know. I was looking up at the sky, I just don't know. And I think she said to him, you keep believing. If that's what you feel like God said to you, then keep it up. Don't stop. She didn't condemn him. She didn't beat him down. And maybe she confessed a similar thing on a different night. I'm, hey, Abraham, I'm looking at, at this body here and I'm just saying, homie, don't play that. I don't think this is gonna work. And he said, well, God plays that. So you keep on believing. And they helped each other up. That's what spouses do, is they help each other up. You don't need a perfect record. Just keep helping each other up. So here's the question. If you're married, what is your spouse need right now? In this season, not when you first got married, not when you first got together, not when the first kid was born, what do they need right now? Do they need you to listen more? Do they need you to spend a little more time with the TLC? They need a little bit more emotional affection? Well, who else do you think is going to give it? You give it. Help them up right now. Just keep helping each other up. What do you need right now? You need more help around the house for this season? Do you need a little more time away from the house? Do you need me to start running some of these kids around? What do you need right now? And then you keep helping them up. That's the way of Abraham and Sarah. And you say, well, Carter, you know, they did a lot wrong though. And now we're in one of those places where it's just really hard to get past this, that, or the other thing. So what you need to do is forgive as hard as that is. And what, however long that takes, and even if you've got to do it every day, you forgive and you keep 
helping each other up. Because listen to this, there's nothing that is more godlike than forgiving and helping them up. What does God do for you? What does Jesus do in a life? Have you thought about that? Like, what does God actually do? He forgives you and he starts helping you. Like, that's, if you've come to Christ, that's the story you had. He forgave you and started helping you. It's not um, trips that you could take. It's not jewelry you could buy. It's not another gift you could purchase. It's not a back rub. It's not even more sex. What it is instead is forgive them and keep helping them up. That is the most godlike thing you can do in your marriage. And so here's your homework. To ask your spouse, not just this time, but to start asking them in this series, we change, life changes, things move around. What do you need right now? And they might say something that startles you. They might say something like, I need you to let me off the hook because I still feel like I'm paying for this thing that I did a long time ago. I just need you to forgive me. That would help me up. Or they might say, I need you to rearrange some stuff in your schedule, and I know you love your schedule, but if you really want to help me, I need you to do something to help me up by lifting this thing. Whatever they say, we need to remember the wisdom of Abraham and Sarah. So now you're on the track again, and they're beginning to fall behind you. They've said what they're going to say, and they're waving goodbyes. You keep walking forward, and they say, don't forget, you don't need a perfect record. Just keep helping each other up. Let's pray. God, marriage is a complex and a hard thing, and yet it is such a blessed thing when we do it under your rulership. And so I just want to invite you into every marriage right now. We have different levels of hurt, but we all have known pain. We ask that you would come and heal some of the deep wounds that have been formed. We also ask during this series that you would help us consecrate ourselves to you, to be your couple. And if we're single, to be your single. And we're asking for you to give us better communication and discernment around what our spouse needs and how we can help them up. We can't do it without you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.